0: So now with John Wick 3, the world feels so big, and it seems like this assassin network can include pretty much anybody. So I'm curious, if we lived in the world of John Wick, what would we be? Meaning, like, would we be a bum on the street that works as an assassin? Would we be a cab driver that's an assassin? So you're an assassin. That part you can't change. But you can choose your occupation. What is it?
1: My occupation is very granular, but I have to speak from the heart. I am going to be the person that butters bread at an Italian restaurant. So really, the only thing I have access to are butter knives. And baguettes? And baguettes, I guess, yeah. Well,
0: that's French. I don't know what bread you have at Italian restaurants, but something there. It's bread. Um, <laughs> I would want to be, I think after seeing the scene where John, for some reason... Decides to like tackle a guy into a pool to fight. It seemed like he could have like gone any direction. But since they did end up in the pool and they were under there for quite a while, it did strike me that the world of John Wick could use a lifeguard. So I think I like to be a lifeguard, it gives me an opportunity to during the day get a good tan, and then during the night, I guess, be a lifeguard in these crazy clubs that everybody dies in. So that's what I would want to do. And honestly, the more people that die, since we've seen in John Wick 1 and now 3, they're always killing each other in and around water. Every time the survivor comes out, they're going to toss a coin my way. So honestly, it's probably a good financial move on my part as well. I think you haven't thought about the
1: negative aspects of that career, though, because uh, there's still a dead body left in the pool, and it sounds like you're
0: going to be swimming in some bloody pools to fish those bodies out. No, no. I think a lifeguard's only required to, like try and prevent somebody from dying. I think, once they, I think once they die, it's not really my problem anymore. You missed the latest memo from the high table, but they just sent it to our
1: inboxes and it's that all lifeguards will now be cleaning out the pools. They've had a shortage of uh, maintenance workers.
2: Hmm. Or you just call and make a reservation for one. I think I'll do or that. Or two, depending on how many bodies in the pool.
0: We'll see. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. I might have to spend some coins wisely on that one.
2: I mean, Austin, I'm kind of with you. I, I was going to go the uh, food route. Since we're in New York, what does New York have? It has a bunch of hot dog stands. I'd be a guy working at a hot dog stand. Every hot dog is a normal hot dog, except if there's one or two or three in there that might have some sort of like poisonous or some sort of blade in them, just in mm-hmm. case, you know, someone's being chased and they say, hey, give him the special or something like that. And then you just hand them, hand them the, uh, the wrong hot dog there and, you know, let it take its course. Maybe the ketchup and mustard has acid in it that you can squeeze
0: in their face. <laughs> I don't know. So now that we've established our careers in the world of
1: John Wick, I got to know, how are we saved in Winston's phone? I think he's got me saved as Butterboy. Keith is probably Mr. Buns. Or Wiener. You can go front door back yeah. with Keith.
2: <laughs> For me, I'm Wet Willie. Oh, wow. <laughs> wet Willie. <laughs> Some dirty names here. (laughs)
0: Winston's kind of just a pervert, (laughs) so it's more on him (laughs) than us. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of The Arnie's. We are three guys that really miss Common, with nothing better to do. I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm allergic to horses, so the beginning of this film was tough to get past. I'm Keith Baker, and I need guns. Lots of guns.
1: And I'm Austin Terry, and I just want to meet the craftsman who mints all the coins for the high table.
0: Don't we all? On today's show, we'll be continuing our look back at the John Wick trilogy with John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. But before we get to that, Austin, last week we talked about a new release, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. Anything to look out for with that
1: one? Yeah, The Suicide Squad is fun. Um, I don't want to take anything away from Mr. Gunn, but the bar was so low after 2016 that I think we all had zero expectations going into the Suicide Squad. I think it's safe to say that we were all kind of unanimously blown away. Um, All the characters that shows to put in it are very fun. It's very humorous. It's very action oriented and it definitely earns its hard R rating. So if you haven't seen that one yet, I think we'd all say check it out and then go on over to our episode to hear our thoughts.
0: Yeah, definitely check that one out because it turns out that between the HBO Max streaming numbers and the box office, it underperformed a little bit. So make sure you watch it or go out to the theater because we want a sequel. This is a selfish move on our part. We want to see these characters again. So please go see this movie or watch on HBO Max. Help him out because Matt Johnson wants to see Bloodsport in action again.
1: This is probably a good spot here, but this is now a second kind of major tentpole release to have its numbers impacted by streaming services that they chose to simultaneously release on. I mean, what are you guys thinking? Is, are the theaters going to revolt and this is just a thing of 2021? Or, or does, this, does this method of going to streaming platforms and theaters
2: continue on? I think I'm going to go back to our theory that we concluded last time we talked. And I think that it's eventually just going to be a higher fee on the streaming platforms. Like I think, Matt, I think you were the one who mentioned it. It'd be like maybe maybe 20 bucks or something like that to stream it right when the movie comes out and then the price would go down as it's released like 3 or 4 weeks down the line.
0: Yeah, we'll see. Um I feel like I've read in the past that HBO Max is producing original content including movies next year, but that doesn't mean that movies that were already going to be re- released theatrically will also be released on their streaming platform unlike this year where stuff like the Suicide Squad, Dune, Mortal Kombat, Godzilla vs. Kong, those were all supposed to go to theaters when they got picked up by HBO Max. It sounds like they're not doing that again next year. And I also read today that theater chains like AMC have kind of secured a deal where they're going to be doing 45-day theatrical windows. So it sounds like maybe at least at some theaters you won't be able to get some streaming options. You'll have to go there, and it's going to be over a month or it'll only be there. So it's going to kind of incentivize people to maybe go to the movies. But who knows, man? I think with COVID and the variants. It's kind of hard to say where theaters will be by the end of 2022. It's pretty up in the air. I I have no idea. I hope for the best, though. Obviously, I want theaters to stick around.
1: Yeah, I think streaming upcharges are definitely going to be a thing of the future. But I think you also made a good point there, Matt. I could totally see theaters negotiating now with studios about um, a theater exclusivity or something like that to entice people back to the theaters. It's crazy, though. Like, Anytime these movies come out, there's now, you can just count on a negative article about the movie going to both box office and streaming services, and then also you can count on somebody from the cast and crew to to sue the studio for deciding to put it on a streaming service.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Because, I mean, like, The Suicide Squad, we all watched it on HBO Max, but... If that had gone to theaters and they were like, it's going to come to HBO Max, but you have to wait 45 days, I would have been like, well, screw that. I'm going to go see it in the theater. <laughs> like, I'm not waiting that yeah, long. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, you know, it could work out. We'll just have to wait and see what happens. And we'll have to see what they do with John Wick Chapter 4. Who knows where that'll end up in a theater, a streaming service. I have no idea. But we are not at Chapter 4 yet, my friends. So let's get into the main topic for today's show. John Wick Chapter 2 ended with John Wick killing his enemy while breaking the rules of the Continental, thus having to go on the run with his new pup. With a bounty of $14 million on his head, it certainly set up an exciting third part with plenty of room for Keanu Reeves and Chad Stahelski to go wild with the action and building. We all universally loved the first one on a rewatch, we had mixed feelings on Chapter 2, and now it's time to revisit the most recent release. What do we think about Chapter 3? This universe started with a seemingly normal guy having his dog killed and car stolen. And now, here we are with the assassin underworld opening up to hunt down John Wick, who is anything but normal. Austin and Keith, let me know what you expected going into Chapter 3, as well as your official, non-spoiler thoughts.
1: Yeah, I remember... Just having the ultimate trust in this crew whenever this movie originally came out, I knew going into the theaters that this movie was going to be good. There was no way it was going to flop and it totally lived up to my expectations. I had a great time in the theaters and I got to say, I had just as good a time this second time around. Um, I think this one is easily the most fun of the series. They do a great job expanding John's relationship with his allies and getting the supporting cast more involved as well. The action also gets taken to another level. Each set piece gets more creative as the movie goes on and they constantly find new challenges to put John up against and new fighting styles to showcase throughout the film. Uh, The world building continues in a more organic way as well, taking familiar elements from the first two while at the same time further expanding the high table's presence. The only critique I really have for this one is that we are once again missing an element that made the first one great, which is a central villain to drive the story forward. We have this mysterious high table, but no concrete villain to root for John to take down. So that's kind of where I'm at. John McParabellum is a great ride that really takes some of the best elements of the series and just kind of runs
2: wild for two hours. There you go. You said most of my thoughts there, so not too much to add for me, but um, going to your question about what I expected, I guess at the end, whenever Winston kind of gives him that hour uh, of freedom, I'm expecting that, you know, he's going to be walking through New York at the beginning, which it kind of is, and everybody's kind of stared at him. And then once that hour is up, almost every assassin in New York is going to be chasing after him. And it wasn't quite the case. It was just all these different groups that were more chasing after him. But uh, as far as the Third one goes overall. Uh, Austin, kind of, I think you hit it on the head. I mean, I pretty much agree with everything you just said there. Um, the only thing I'll add was, that I think this one really did uh, well with the characters. And I know you said we didn't have a central villain, but um, the, with the characters we did get, especially the new ones and the um, <clears throat> the reoccurring ones like Lawrence Fishburne, uh, Winston, of course. Uh, yeah, it, it was just fun to see these guys coming back and then the introduction of these new people with Halle Berry and. Uh, the guy who played uh, Zero as well. Those guys were awesome. So,
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think this one was interesting because I saw the first John Wick in theaters and then I saw the second one not in theaters, but it must have been like right as it came out because it was years before I ever saw three. I watched three for the first time last year whenever we were in quarantine. I just let it miss me by in theaters for whatever reason, despite being a fan of the franchise. And I didn't like it when I watched it the first time. So I was nervous going into it this time i remembered the first time i was like man i feel like two was already kind of stretching things a bit thin with how much they were diving into the world building how much they were opening things up all the lore all that stuff it was like right on the edge of being too much and my biggest complaint with three was it definitely crossed over that line for me and it kind of entered into a ridiculous territory as to as opposed to feeling kind of cool and grounded like the first two and whenever i started it this time on a rewatch i was like wow, I guess I was wrong because I was loving it. I was having such a blast in the first act. And when it got to the second act, it was like, Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, that's that's when it kind of shifts gears. And then I was like, that's what happened the first time too. I love the first act. And then it kind of grinds to a halt in that middle. And there's so many great parts of the middle, but I just don't think it comes together. Luckily, the third act kind of brings it all back into focus for me. And it definitely ends strong. I think the action in this movie is astronomically better than chapter two. I think it's so fun. Uh, it's just unfortunate that second act just Really, I don't love, despite some good elements. And like Austin said, too, I actually would slightly disagree because I think they have two really cool villains in this movie that John is going up against. But I think they kind of – but I would agree because I think they kind of mishandle them and it doesn't feel like they have a big enough presence. So by the end, whenever John's supposed to be taking – the villain down. It's like we barely really know this person, so yeah, I kind of agree with you there too. So you know, definitely some really good moments and some not so good. i I do think I like this one better than chapter two, so that's at least a step up for me this time,
1: yeah, I saw it. that was the most recurring thing um in the critics, which we'll get to later, was that the middle lags, and I just don't feel that at all with this one. i think I think this is actually the longest of the trilogy, yeah, and this one goes by the quickest for me of the mm-hmm. entire one. Um, I just have so much fun. I think every character they have is great. The only thing I think that we're missing is just like the way Victor Tarasov was in the first one, how he had that history with John Wick. I think we're missing that. We have a villain that respects John Wick,
0: but they don't have that relationship. And I think that's an element that they don't carry over in two or three. Yeah, completely agree. They just found like kind of one quirk for the villain to have, but they didn't really go beyond that one quirk, unfortunately. Um, But yeah, before we kind of get too much into the conversation here, we're going to go ahead and drop the spoiler warning. Despite John Wick Chapter 3 being an older movie at this point, if you haven't seen it, we are going to kind of talk about every little detail. So make sure you go ahead and watch it and then come on back to our episode so you can join us with the fun, with the guns, with the bullets, with the fists. It's time for Parabellum.
1: Okay, everybody, so we're going to get into our cast and crew here in just a second, but we also wanted to kind of take a sec here to just remind you guys that we do want to hear from you, and we can also use some reviews. So reviews really do help us grow this podcast. If you would like to, um, go ahead and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And then also go ahead and shoot us a message on Instagram at The Arnie's or email us, at gmail.com. Um, we want to hear your thoughts on John Wick, your thoughts on the show. So yeah, go ahead and reach out to us, and now let's go ahead and get into that cast and crew. So John Wick Parabellum is directed once again by Chad Stahelski, who carries over from chapters one and two, and of course written again by the original creator Derek Kolstad, and this time he is joined by Shea Hatton, Chris Collins, and Mark Abrams. Um, Hatton is actually known for Army of the Dead and the upcoming Army of Thebes, and he's going to be doing John Wick chapter four and five without Derek Kolstad. And our movie score is once again composed by Tyler Bates and Joel J. Richard.
2: Yeah, and we've got to shout out, because we just talked about it, we'll shout out my cousin. He's going to be in Army of the Thieves as Agent Bob. Agent Bob! (laughs) (laughs) Check him out. (laughs) He's a
1: big Shay Hatton supporter, Agent Bob. Man, Keith, between Wyatt Russell and your cousin, you have so many
0: contacts for the Arnie's podcast. (laughs) I know, right? All right, so with that, Keith, tell us about some even more famous people.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so let's jump into the cast here. We have Mr. Keanu Reeves returning as John Wick, of course. We have the great Halle Berry as Sophia. Mark DeCascos as Zero. Asia Kate Dillon as the Adjudicator. Lance Reddick returning as Charon. And we also have Angelica Huston as the director. Ian McShane coming back as Winston. And Lawrence Fishburne as the Bowery King. All right, guys, there's the cast and crew. Any highlights, any negatives? What you got?
1: Yeah, my highlight is Halle Berry Um, I think this character is so much fun. I love the scene with the dogs. I like how they establish her backstory with John Wick. And I just think this character is so badass and um, just feels like so just so able to handle herself in this action that I'm so curious to see the movie that she needed John Wick's help for because it doesn't seem like she would ever be in trouble. So I want to know why they have kind of a a blood oath and, and what what he did to help her out that now requires her debt to him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely curious about that too. She was great. This is a tough one for me. Ugh, picking a highlight. Um, I think while there's one character that returns that I want to shout out, I can't help it because we had a new face this time. Mark Dacascos as zero who I was kind of alluding to it earlier. I don't love the character per se in terms of how they're used in the story, but I think the performance is so fun <laughs> and just so goofy that this crazy villain that's the head of this gang is also just like John Wick's number one fan and (laughs) wants to be respected by him as, even though he's the one trying to kill him. So it was just a cool dynamic. I
2: thought he gave a great performance. For me, I'll say Asia Kate Dillon as the adjudicator. I really liked her in this one. Um, She played this really funny, kind of an annoying kind of character. I didn't find her to be that sinister or that like intimidating that much, but... For some reason, I just liked her bugging everybody about and just her just doing this administrative kind of job with giving out these these punishments and deciding how much each person that helped John Wick needed with their punishments. So that was kind of cool. And another one I'll shout out is Lance Reddick returning as chair. And we got to really see him come to light in this one and not just play the concierge, but he also was able to wield some guns and get into some action. So, yeah, that was fun as well.
1: That's interesting, Keith. Uh, Asia-Kate Dillon is a bit controversial. Some people find her performance terrible in this movie, and other people find her great. I like her deadpan and think she's intimidating, um, but on the other side of that, my wife did not like her performance at all in this one.
0: Really? It seems like more of probably a character issue. I don't think there's anything wrong with their performance. It's supposed to be kind of deadpan and ominous, like you said, but I I wouldn't fault anybody for not liking the character, because it is kind of on the flip side, kind of almost boring in the way it comes off because of that, but... Performance is fine for me. My wife thought she was overacting.
2: That was her critique. Oh. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. I could see why you think that. Yeah, I don't know if it's just overacting or if that's just how her character was supposed to be. Yeah, so before we move on from the cast, I just wanted to mention real quick something I found on the internet uh, about Mark DeCascos and Asia Kate Dillon. Uh, they both said in interviews that they were huge fans of John Wick 1 and 2. And then when they got the offer to have uh, parts in this one, they instantly accepted without even reading the script. That's funny. That kind of plays
0: into the Mark DiCasco's character because his character
1: yeah, is such a big exactly. fan of John
0: Wick as well. That's true, yeah. Kind of, and I don't really have any uh, solid information on this either way, but I thought it was interesting because I also saw something about the cast, which is... And I feel like we've been talking about this guy a lot lately, which I have no problem with because I'm such a big fan of his, but the great actor Hiroki Sanada, who... Like I guess we most recently probably talked about in Mortal Kombat. He played Scorpion and we kind of talked about him randomly in the past like few months. But he was actually initially in talks to join the cast, maybe as the Mark Dacascu's character. Not sure. But despite not appearing in this one, he will be in John Wick Chapter 4 alongside Donnie Yen, Bill Skarsgård, Scott Adkins, and Clancy Brown. So I was like, wow, <laughs> they are not holding back. They have another great cast on the way. And at this point, I mean,
1: Matt, I know you said we talk about it a lot, but it's really, I think that you, think you just need <laughs> your own segment. That's the Sonata cast or the Sonata update or something Ooh. like that, because you're always checking on him. You know what he's up to. You know what he eats for breakfast. You've got everything you need about Hiroyoki Sonata. I just watched him in
0: Sunshine, too, that I talked about last week on the show. Dang. The Sonata siesta? The Sonata docker update? And it's me. <laughs> Alrighty, my friends, we are leaving the cast and crew and it's time to get into critical reception. I want to know what people thought of this movie. Obviously, I was a bit more negative, it sounds like, so I want to see if I'm alone. But before we get to that, John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum made $327 million against a budget of $75 million. So once again, we have another big hit in our hands. On Rotten Tomatoes, the movie has an 89%. The critical consensus was the movie reloads for another hard-hitting round of the brilliantly choreographed, over-the-top action that fans of the franchise demand. What do you guys got for me, though?
1: Yeah, so on the positive side of things, critics praised uh, the continued top-notch filmmaking and brutal, entertaining choreography. They also seemed to appreciate that for a third outing, the fighting remains very fresh and exciting in its delivery. Um, They found the movie to be a bit formulaic, but said it's a formula that works. The first act also received a lot of praise for paying off the end of chapter two and kind of picking up our story and really getting us right into the action immediately.
2: As far as negative reviews goes, uh, they were saying how as the franchise continues to get bigger, that can sometimes be at a fault. Some seemed to miss the simplicity of the first film and thought that the Continental and the high table rules bordered on being convoluted at times. The question came up with this being the third film. Should this franchise have better stories and more uh, developed characters by now? The adjudicator role was cool in concept, but didn't amount to anything. And another thing they listed out was first and third acts were strong, but it drags in the middle.
1: Okay. So, Matt, obviously that negative point about it dragging in the middle kind of goes in line with your thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, guys, anything that you kind of starkly disagree with here or anything you strongly agree with uh, before we move on to the round table? Hmm.
2: I mean, I can see where they're coming from when it says dragging in the middle. I mean, the middle does get a little bit slower. But I wouldn't say it's dragging. I still, there's, I still think there's a lot of interesting things that happen in the middle. Yeah, it's
0: definitely not bad,
2: and it doesn't seem to be that long either. It's not like it's like a, a forty-five minute middle. At least I don't think it was. It's, to no. me, it just felt like a 15, 20 twenty-minute, uh, you know, middle there in the desert and all that. And then he immediately, then he immediately just goes back to New York. So didn't seem that long or seem to drag to me.
1: Honestly, I kind of appreciate the break. Like, the action is so just breakneck speed that I I enjoyed kind of a nice little step away from the action in the middle. Um, The biggest thing I disagree with is better stories and more developed characters. I think the stories are really fun in this franchise. And sure, the characters don't grow or change a lot in each movie. But I still think you understand everybody's motivations and and know where they're coming from. And, And John Wick is just such a fun character that I think Keanu has nailed each time around. Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. I think
0: this franchise knows what it is to the point that was made in the positives that it's a formula, but it knows what that formula is and how to perfect it. So I have no problem with that. Um, the thing that I definitely most agree with is we already kind of talked about it a little bit and we're going to certainly get into it in a second here in more detail. But the first act of this movie is just everything I could have hoped for at the end of John Wick Chapter Two when I was just hoping and so excited for John Wick Chapter Three. Like, everybody coming after him in New York, like, shit's just going full haywire. It's just awesome. The perfect continuation. So that was what I most agreed with there. So definitely some good points there on both sides. We'll delve into it in more detail in just a sec when we get to our roundtable discussion. But first, here's a quick recap. John Wick is on the run and is running out of time to prepare for the incoming onslaught of assassins coming for him after killing Santino in the Continental he has to basically kill everyone in existence in some interesting ways, including... He does kill this big giant named Dante with a book. That was crazy. <laughs> that was insane. <laughs> Dude, when he snaps
1: the guy's neck over the Ugh. book, I was like, oh my God. And I love that he puts it back,
2: too. <laughs> I, love that I know, he puts right? it back. <laughs> what, what section does this go in? Uh, <laughs> um, another one was he, he had two horses, or a horse kicked two oh guys in God. the face. <laughs> another one, I think another one to mention real quick would be an axe throwing kill Mm -hmm. you thought he was going to let the guy live, you thought Mm -hmm. he was going to walk away, then all of a sudden you just see John from afar, look at the dude, and then just throws the act directly in the head. He made it, and that's
0: right. And after escaping New York, he has to go on a worldwide journey to find the high table, and does he do that, Austin? He does do that, but he, of course, has to check in with some
1: old friends, that being uh, the character of Sophia, played by Halle Berry, and afterwards he has to walk into the desert until he... Thinks he's going to die and then he's (laughs)
0: going to walk a little bit further and then you get to meet with the high table. Yeah. And you have to do it in a full suit and dress shoes, apparently, (laughs) which seemed like an oversight in my opinion. And fun fact
1: there, that was actually Keanu's first time to see the Sahara Desert while they were filming the movie. And he said, yeah, doing it in the three piece suit isn't ideal, but it's a magical place
0: hmm very very positive it's definitely keanu. not ideal A hot of shit out there <laughs> uh, and in short keanu reeves as john wick once again for the third time i have to say it he murders everybody so with that let's get to our roundtable discussion So let us start off in the natural place, the beginning of the movie. We've talked about it a few times already, but we have to get into more detail here because it's so exciting. The first act of this movie really feels like the natural sequel to John Wick Chapter 2. I think it's the best part of the movie for me because it did a good job of upping the ante with the action, giving John by far the most stakes yet, and giving little bits of actually interesting world building and lore with John's backstory. I really like seeing him interact with Angelica Houston and finding out where he came from without them explicitly saying it I thought was a pretty surprising twist in a good way. So what did you guys think of this opening with John against everybody in
1: New York? I think it's a really fun opening that kind of sucks you right back into the world of John Wick just immediately. I think the best thing about this opening for me um, is just the tension building with that hour countdown to open the movie. I think you just, you know, everybody's coming the second that clock hits 6pm. And I like that he has to like very quickly find ways to like go check in with the doctor as, as quickly as he can. And, and I like that moment where the clock expires while wow, the the doctor is sewing him up, so yeah. the doctor has to stop. Um, yeah, so just, I just thought great
2: tension building uh, to kick off the movie. Yeah, I totally agree, Austin. It kind of reminded me of like the Purge movies. I know those movies aren't that great, but at least when they, they count down to when the Purge begins and then, you know, all crime is legal and everything like that. That's kind of what it reminded me of. And I, I was scared to see what was going to happen to John. I thought there's going to be like, like hundreds of people just chasing him down the street or something like that.
0: Yeah, it was really great. It was so cool that they actually took a little bit of time to breathe to break that tension, like you said, with him kind of stopping periodically to try and get help just before everything goes crazy. And he won't have any access to these um, continental and high table privileges because he's excommunicado. So I love seeing him go to the doctor, love seeing him stop by the library to try and get some access to whatever you want to call it that will help him later. but. On like the flip side of that, I also thought it was realistic and really cool that while he's alone before the time is out, uh, you have this big dude, this big assassin walk in and just be like, oh, running out of time. John is like, I still got time. And it's like, well if I kill you and people find the body, nobody's going to know. It's just a few minutes. So then they just get into this crazy fight. And that's really our first bit of action in the movie is that fight with the book that you guys mentioned earlier. And it's just such a brutal way to open. And I like that it happened while the countdown was still happening. So it was a weird break of the tension, but still giving us awesome action.
1: And I know we thought the opening fight of chapter two was pretty clunky, um, with the cars running around and, and the way they oh, yeah. filmed that scene. Mm-hmm. And I thought this one was a way better executed opening fight scene 100%. for this movie. And then that, of course, takes us into the antique shop fight, <sighs> which I think might be the most fun. I'm, I'm going to be saying the word fun a lot in this, yeah. in this episode because I think this movie has the most fun of all three of them. And mm-hmm. that antique shop, you can tell they were just having a blast in the writer's room when they were sketching it up. And then Keanu looks
2: like he's having so much fun throwing those knives around. God, that was crazy.
0: <laughs> it was so cool.
2: <laughs> they're just fighting like regular, like fist fighting, and all of a sudden they both just pause and they look through the glass and they're like, oh shit, we're surrounded by knives. That's cool. And they just <laughs> that's cool. And they just break the glass and get the knives. That's that was sweet.
0: Yeah, that's my favorite part of that sequence is that everybody is constantly breaking glass. Like, because it's not like bullets. It's kind of hard for you, the audience, to count bullets in action movies like this. Like whenever you see John shooting a gun, it's not like you're consciously going, like, okay, he has like two bullets left now. But whenever they're holding knives and throwing them, it's like Oh, he's out of knives. And then you just immediately watch him break the glass and pull out another handful. So it was just really satisfying and quick. Like, can't believe the choreography in that scene.
1: They also do such like subtle ways of showing you that John Wick is like smarter and better at this than everybody else. Him assembling that revolver with different parts from a, from various different guns was such a fun little sequence that's maybe like a minute long, but still reinforces the fact that John Wick is just playing on a different level than everybody else is.
2: Which goes to another point I wanted to make about the first act is when he visits the director and they're kind of walking through that one room where all these guys are doing like jiu-jitsu and like grappling and stuff like, oh, okay. So that's is where he learned how to, to fight. So I kind of like how you get that explanation of how he learned all these, these like crazy fight skills.
0: And it was scary. I mean, that, that no joke had my biggest turn away from the screen moment. The most violent m- move we see in the entire movie is the ballerina ripping off her entire toenail while John is watching. And that was the moment where I had to go,
2: no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Some black swan stuff right there. Oh, God. Yeah, so let's go ahead and dive into a question that I've asked you guys on the past two reviews we've done from the first two movies, and that is, you know, how do we feel about the whole world, un- or underground world, and lore overall, and how big do we think it is still? I mean, do we, are we thinking it's, it's bigger? I know mean, in the second one, we when we were talking about the second movie, uh, we were saying it's way bigger than we thought it was from the first one. The first one, we're like, oh, it's, just, it's just in this one little section of New York, Then we go into the second one, and we see Winston call all those people in the park, and we're like, "Oh shit!" Now it's way bigger. So this one, to me, it seems kind of in between because you still kind of see him going through New York. He's walking by American Eagle Outfitters, and (laughs) it's It's okay. Well, this is yeah, this is still kind of the real world here, and he's and we get some more subway and train scenes where they're just regular people walking around doing their normal jobs. So, what do you guys think? Are we still? you know, thinking it's 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 all one big underground world or is it just like this one organization that just happens to be or embedding itself in the regular public?
1: I think it's a combination of both. So this time around, like kind of piecing together things from two and three, the high table is kind of like the quantum organization in Bond or what they want quantum to be. I think it's this big world encompassing organization that's just embedded behind the scenes of like, the everyday governments of this world. They don't explicitly say that. I don't think it's like the high table is the government of of the everyday public. I think it's a shadow organization that's just embedded in, and you really only know about it if you're in the world, with John is. So I, I'm i still kind of in the camp that everybody he interacts with is an assassin or part of the high table because that's literally his entire world from his childhood, which they kind of reveal in this movie too. Um, so that's kind of how I took it this time around.
0: Yeah, I agree. Ultimately, What you guys are saying, I totally agree with. I think it's not really in the grand scheme of things that big of an organization because that just doesn't seem feasible. So it's just this underground thing. That being said, for whatever reason, I didn't have this problem in two, but I do in this one. There's just certain quick little shots and the way they frame things that really frustrate me because I think it goes against that. And it kind of starts pretty early on. I love Jason Manzucas, and he plays another kind of Bowery King agent, if you want to call it that. And in chapter two, whenever he's in the subway, he has that scene where he just sees a guy holding a cup out, he drops a coin in, the guy just like looks up and it's like, oh, whoa, this is kind of serious. And they go see the Bowery King. In this John Wick is just walking by, and then Jason Manzukis is just screaming to the entire world, and then he looks over at John and then just goes quiet. And I'm like, so if John hadn't walked by, is he just sitting here all day screaming? Like, why? Yeah, I
1: think he is. I think that's how you're supposed to take that. I think that's why this guy's there. That's his block, and he's supposed to look like a crazy homeless person to the everyday public, and then John happens to come down his block.
0: Yeah, it just yeah. It wasn't as cool in this one, and then it gets even less cool when he gets in a cab, and it's like... They're in New York. And it's like, there's a billion cabs. And it's like, take me to the library. And he's like, okay. And then he's like, actually, hands him a coin, take the dog to the hotel. And he's like, of course, Mr. Wick. It's like, they're in a cab. And so there's just little things here and there and it gets even weirder at the end whenever they get into Grand Central Station and all of Zero's guys are literally murdering people and everybody just keeps walking by. And I guess you could say, it's New York, you know, they're not bothered by weird stuff. It's like, yeah, but they're walking past corpses. Like those two guys got their throats slit and fell down and then everybody just walks by them. So it's not that – I still think the organization is small in the grand scheme of things. It's just little things like that. They kind of make me go, then why'd they film it that way? Just kind of goofy. I'll concede on the taxi thing. The taxi really took me out in this viewing. I just didn't like that he said, Mr. Wick. I feel like if he had just taken the coin and taken him to the Continental, it's like, okay, he knows what the Continental is. It was just weird that they had the extra thing like, oh, I know you.
2: <laughs> or like how they always know where each other are, too. You know, like he's in the library looking at the book. How did Dante know that he was there? <laughs> yeah, he just walks over. <laughs> Hey, Mr. Wick,
0: almost time's up. He does the thing. He's like, oh, shit, is that John? Okay, shit. Okay, I need to find a book. I need to like open it halfway, pretend to be reading it to be ominous, and then I need to walk over, start talking before I turn the corner. That way, John hears me, and I seem extra cool. <laughs> like, like, yeah, how did he do that? I don't know. Uh, so another kind of addition to Chapter 3 is we do get our
1: first kind of real team-up of the series so far. How did you guys feel about the inclusion of Sophia, uh, her
2: and John's dynamic, and also her action scenes with the dogs? Yeah, it was just amazing how uh, they were able to film that with those dogs. I mean, and how they had them trained so well.
1: Yeah, I thought that was the coolest um, element of this fight. And I actually saw some pretty interesting trivia about that from an, uh, from an interview with Looper. Um, they were talking about kind of Halle Berry's training and, and all of her commitment that she did to the role. And uh, they interviewed Chad Stahelski, and he gave this quote. He said, she would have to do three to four hours of martial arts, two hours of guns. And then because the dogs are so sensitive, Hallie had to become a trainer for the animals, so she spent another three, four hours a day just hanging out with the dogs and giving them commands and telling them what to do. So not only did she do all this martial arts training, but then she also became like a full-time trainer for the two dogs that she worked with.
0: The way they actually did that practical choreography with dogs was insane. It's one thing to see... You know, Keanu Reeves in the earlier movies just doing some cool gunplay, jumping around and doing martial arts. Like, we've seen him do that. But this was, wow, they actually got the dogs up to a point where they could do that. That's so cool. And I think this scene, even though I don't love the middle section of the movie, I do think we get the single best shot of maybe the franchise. And that's when uh, Sophia is kind of getting overwhelmed by two guys. She's able to take him out barely, but then she kind of looks over her shoulder above her on a balcony and sees that, uh-oh, this guy could easily point out at me. So she calls one of the dogs and practically, in camera, in a wide shot. You just see her grapple one guy, hold him down. The dog runs, gets on her back, and you see the dog leap like a mile onto the balcony and kill the guy on the balcony. I was like, that was the coolest shot of the John McFranchise. The dog basically climbed the wall to get to that guy. That was insane. Going back to the initial question of like the first team up and how'd that go, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was cool. It it seems kind of about time for John to not only have you know, friends like Winston or whatever, that we see him talking to a lot. It's nice to see him actually fight with somebody. And we get a second team up later with Sharon and Lance Reddick actually getting the action the Continental, which is cool. But I think in particular the Sophia character was really nice to see because I liked how they paid off chapter two in a way I didn't expect with like the, the marker was such a big thing in chapter two. And it's like, oh, wow, this is how John gets pulled back in once again. It was nice to know whenever he's at kind of his low point. Oh, it's like, oh, well, of course, John, he would have a marker. Like, that makes sense. Like, why didn't we think of that? And then, of course, it turns out that Sophia is the person that owes him. So it kind of leads to this cool, begrudging team up, which I really like seeing. So they actually found not only good action moments, but kind of a fun way to bring her character into it with the history with John, too, in a way I didn't expect.
1: It was fun too, seeing like another character in John's position that he was in in chapter two. I really like the scene when John is reaching into his coat pocket and Sophia knows what he's about to pull out. And right before he does it, she says, don't you fucking do it or something like that. And then you can just kind of see the um, exasperation in her body whenever he does actually pull out that marker.
0: And it sucks because I've I've talked a little bit on the episode already, how I'm not the biggest fan of this second act. And I think my biggest complaint with it is I think the Halle Berry as Sophia setup is so awesome with how it's like, well, you know what? You have you have to do your marker, but guess what? You know what? I'm not here to make you kill anybody. I just need you. Your debt is you got to get me in front of this guy. That's all I need you to do. And then of course that turns into a crazy action sequence that we just talked about. I just don't love that then after that, she drives him to the desert and the payoff just is a little bit weak to me. It's like, All right. Bye, John. And then he walks to the desert, gets to the high table, does all that cool stuff. And then that doesn't really pay off in the third act for me because he goes against it. Not that I think he should kill Winston, but I think you guys know what I mean. It's like it kind of felt like they were setting up Sophia to play a bigger role. And sure, you can make the argument. I'm sure she'll be back in chapters four and five. And I know a lot of the characters in the other two movies only had kind of small roles. But this one, I think they did a lot of setup. So it kind of felt weird to me. That, you know, they use the whole marker thing, which was the entire plot of the first movie, and then she just kind of says bye to John, and it's like, okay. So, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of a great action scene, but with a weak
2: payoff for the story after that. Seems like they share a similar philosophy, too, on things. So I like how they kind of use the same yeah. lines, like the the consequences, and they do the whole pause. So, you know, they're kind of, they're kind of on the same page. So, I see where you're coming from. And w- There was also potentially
0: a weird line in there. Now, of course, I'm forgetting it, but... There was one line in particular where they were talking about things that you love. And did you guys pick up on a past romance there? Am I, is that true? No, I don't know. Oh, I didn't uh, get that.
2: I don't know. I didn't, yeah, I don't think I caught that.
0: It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't overt either way, but there was just like one line, like doing something for the things you love in reference to the marker. And I wasn't sure if it was like referencing a past. I think thing. that was supposed to reference her daughter. I think it was too, but yeah, I just, for, for, for whatever reason on this rewatch, I was like, is she talking about John? Like, I don't know. Regardless, yeah, what do you think, Austin? I think my main counterpoint to
1: you saying that there's not a lot of payoff with the Sophia character is we talked a lot about last time how this is a world built on etiquettes and, and all the assassins have their own customs and etiquettes. And we also mentioned like how cool it would have been if, if just Santino had honored his marker to John when John yeah. finished a task and moved on. I like that in this movie, the task John sets up is get me in front of your boss and you're done. And it's honored immediately because John follows through and, and kind of buys into the orders and etiquette of this world.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I can't argue with that. I don't, yeah, I don't know why I felt different about this one as opposed to chapter two, but there was just something about the presentation for me that whenever she has that scene with the car in the desert and it's basically just like, "All right, you know, I did my marker. See you later, John." It it wasn't that it didn't make sense or it broke the rules of the world. I think it was just a disappointment, you know, for me. If that makes sense, it was like, oh. Wish we could have gotten more. Not Again, not that I don't think we will in the future, but just in the context of this movie, it felt like I wanted more from that. But maybe I'm being too greedy. It's possible. She pulled a jerk move, too, and drank all the water. And spit it out. (laughs) Come on, Allie. (laughs) Like, if one of the dogs had died, I get it. But they didn't. So don't, you know, don't give me your backwash.
2: (laughs) Going into the desert stuff, did you guys feel a shift halfway through the movie whenever Sophia does leave John in the desert? I mean, the first half, you know, was obviously more of a wrap up up of the last movie dealing with the death of Santino and John getting the excommunicado sentence. Um, And then the second half, we're going more into the punishment, I would say, with Winston letting John go and the adjudicator trying to sort things out with him, the hotel and the high table. So did you guys like that progression and that kind of like split off once John leaves Sophia? I loved it, Keith.
1: It's kind of exactly what I wanted from chapter two. Um, I kind of mentioned it last time as well, but we said how it would have been really cool if the first half of chapter two was this kind of contained story with Santino and then John Wick having to deal with the fallout of those actions um, and, and kind of common being the main villain. And it's it's kind of what they gave us in this one. We have the wrap up from chapter two, like you said, Keith. And then it's the fallout of of everything that happened in, in the beginning of part one and part two kind of playing into the conclusion of the movie.
0: Yeah, I think I'm on the opposite side. And it's not that I disagree or I think what they gave us wasn't cool or interesting. I just kind of like how you put it originally, Keith, it just feels like a shift. And it's kind of weird watching a movie like this to feel that so consciously like, oh, wow, okay, things just kind of turned on its head like The first half of the movie up until that point really feels like one thing. And then the second half is completely different with some elements carrying over. But it's like John gets to the high table and it's like, oh, okay, we're actually at the high table and then commits himself to being their agent. And it's weird. Like we were in New York and then we're not. And that's going back to New York. And then immediately like, okay, I'm not going to be your agent. But it is still cool because we like Winston. So Again, I like all the stuff they gave us. It just, I definitely felt that shift, like you said. And I didn't love that I felt it. I kind of wish it was a bit more natural, but I don't know how they would have done it differently.
2: It's kind of like the second one really ends whenever John goes to find Sophia. Like the the beginning of the Excommunicado and him running from the Assassins, all that's still the second movie. And then the third movie actually kind of starts whenever he gets to Sophia.
1: That's what I kind of enjoy about it, though. I kind of like that we do get our conclusion to a lot of the stuff that was set up in chapter two. But then in the second half of the movie, we start laying the groundwork for chapter four and, and concluding with more interesting elements of the high table being revealed to us. I think this is the one that they've done the best job setting up for a following movie as well. Chapter one, they didn't know they were going to get a sequel. So it's a really self-contained story. Chapter two is just a bit clunky and they they try to give you a bunch of world building that doesn't always pay off. And I think chapter three really effectively sets up some unresolved character elements that they need to carry over and and see the conclusion of in chapters four and five.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. It definitely does do the best job of setting up the next one. But I would say that that is kind of a good and bad thing. It's good because now I'm more excited than ever for the next movie, but also not so good because this one, I would also say, does the most to set up the next one. So it's like a lot of this runtime that could have been devoted to maybe fleshing out some of the beginning, whether it be action or characters, giving more to Sophia, whatever it may be. It's like they developed so much at the high table and then going back and setting up the Winston stuff and the Adjudicator and all that. That it's like, okay, I'm really stoked for Chapter 4, but a lot of that runtime was devoted to doing that, whereas we could have used it for something else, potentially. So, I totally agree with you. It's just, I think there was a couple instances during the runtime, I was like, eh, I wish they would have like maybe held back on a little bit of that and used it elsewhere, if that makes sense. Do you have an idea of what you would have rather gotten in this one? Um, Honestly, it's kind of tough, and especially knowing that we're getting a Chapter 4 and 5. But if it were me, and I think Keith, you even kind of alluded to it, I would have liked to have a bit more in the first act with him kind of in that initial hour, kind of almost feels like it's literally counting down almost in real time, and then just going all out whenever people start coming after him. But regardless of what they devote that time to, I think a great ending for this one would have him like... Finally getting to Casablanca and then maybe you reveal Halle Berry in almost like a secret cameo type thing. And then he pulls out the marker, develop their relationship towards the end and setting up for something. Or alternatively, just end it as he's like about to walk into the desert because then you're knowing, oh, wow, the high table's coming. But that being said, reviewing what we actually got, I love the final scene. Bringing back the Bowery King after he gets cut up and you realize that these two are going to team up to take down the high table is a pretty badass ending. It's just, if the, I don't know if this makes sense. I wish we could have got the ending to this movie still, but it's almost like, I wish they could have done less legwork with all of the setup. Does, I don't know if that makes sense. It's like, I love the ending, but I don't love all of the setup with like the adjudicator and all of the setup with the high table and how pissed they are and all like the twists with Winston. And it's like, oh, you were doing this for the power of the Continental. So I just wish they would have managed their time a little bit better towards the end because I love the actual last scene. It's just it got a little bit messy towards the end after John leaves the high table in the
2: desert. So maybe they could have had his excommunicado last longer instead of him trying to get it overturned. Like he's just fighting assassins almost the entire movie. And then the very end, he gets the excommunicado overturned. But then he has that last scene with Winston and the adjudicator it honestly sounds like
0: um what keith and i are saying is one thing in austin it sounds like you liked it for feeling like we got a bit more which i totally get i think for me it's just the first half of this movie feels like what we expected john McChapter chapter 3 to be and the second half feels like like it could have been more of like a john McChapter chapter 4 so i guess maybe i wish they would have split it up a bit more naturally but I can also appreciate that this one gives us more than we thought, so and it does set up for the next movie. So I get both sides. I think I just wish that it felt a bit more segmented as opposed to being so much in one movie.
1: I just like that it surprised me because it would have been so predictable to just have John Wick's going to fight off assassins for two hours.
0: They easily could have done that. And I, I like that they tried to go a little bit further with the story in, in Parabellum. So as usual, we have to talk about the villains. This time around, we have Zero and the Adjudicator. What did we think of their inclusion in this story? Did they feel super important? Were they on screen enough, etc.? What'd you guys think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mentioned it. I just don't think they have a strong enough history with John Wick. Zero having this weird respect for him does have some really funny elements. Um, I don't know. I think they just feel a bit detached from the actual story. Neither one of them really have any great scenes or communications with John Wick. And so we don't have a reason to root for him against these two. We just kind of get to see what they're capable of with other characters. But I just don't think there's enough interaction with
0: John Wick until really the last 15 minutes of the movie for both characters. Yeah. And I didn't even really realize this, even writing that question. But now that we're talking about it, I think that's another maybe slight issue I have with the second act. Honestly, at this one, I'll just call it the Casablanca segment because they introduce the adjudicator and near the end of act one, we meet Zero. But then when John leaves the country, we don't really get any of them until he comes back. And it's like, oh, that was a long time without them, if that makes sense. So I think that was another issue in terms of their inclusion.
1: They did have a good scene of having Zero take down the director while they were gone, though. Yeah. And the Bowery King, too. And that was really cool to see them just kind of super easily break into two areas that we've been with John Wick. And he mm-hmm. was very aware of all the people around him while he was in both of those places.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, with, you know, going to the character of Zero, I see what you're saying, Austin. It was kind of fun to see his, like, kind of the respect he had or being like a fanboy John Wick. But it, it did kind of get in the way of him feeling intimidated. Yeah. It probably would have been, been better if it would have been more of like a common kind of character from the second one. Where Common did have respect for John Wick, and but he was also willing to put that respect away and get the job done and kill him if he had to. And with Common, we saw him very easily stand up to John Wick
1: in multiple scenes, and we only got one fight scene between John Wick and Zero, so we don't have a reason to believe he's a big threat to John Wick.
2: Yeah. The biggest difference between Common and Zero, and I forget, sorry, I keep forgetting Common. Cassine. Cassine, yeah. The, the, The big difference between... Cassine and and Zero. Cassine didn't put him on a pedestal like Zero did, which was cool. Like, yeah, ca- yeah. Cassine like looked at, him at John as his equal, had respect for him, but a coworker, would kill really? Him. Yeah, a co- yeah. An ex coworker, a former, yeah, former maybe coworker. even friends
0: at one time. Based on their dialogue, a little bit maybe. I yeah. mean, they
2: had a drink at the bar together, and that's
1: really what I like about one and two is Victor's relationship with John Wick and Commons' relationship with John
0: Wick. Or Cassian, whatever. It's common. It's common, baby. <laughs> it's a common cast. The Comcast.
2: <laughs> Comcast.net.
0: Yeah, I also wanted to shout these two guys out. I don't know um, if you guys remembered, but I don't know if they were both in the raid. I know one of them was in the raid, but I did kind of have a little bit of a common moment from chapter two. Whenever we talked about chapter two, I was like, Damn, this kind of sucks because Common's so good in this movie and I really like the character of And I would have liked if they could have positioned him a bit more of a central role instead of, you know, Ruby Rose or even uh, San- Santino at some points. In this movie, the two Indonesian actors, one that was from The Raid for sure, which are the two guys that John Wick fights at the end, two on one, and they have that really great back and forth. I was like, how do they not give these guys more scenes? Because they clearly work with Zero. But the fact that they really only kind of show up for that fight scene at the end, I was like, it would have been nice to get a little bit more of them because they had such great banter. And I loved John's relationship with them. (laughs) It's like they're helping him up, but still fighting and throwing him through shit. And that, man, that might be another top tier fight in this franchise, too, is that fight on the second floor of like the glass room that ends up going through the glass into the first floor. And he doesn't kill them for once, which was really interesting. I thought those guys were great. Like you said, Matt, I love that back and forth. And I was actually reading that
1: the back and forth was actually not scripted. They did a bunch of takes of that scene and it wasn't working because the two guys didn't talk and it was like almost too long of an action scene. So they felt like they needed to break it up with some dialogue. So they quickly wrote that dialogue and Chad Stahelski said, let's do it in Indonesian and John will respond in Indonesian. And they, the two actors taught uh, Keanu Reeves how to say BC and you in Indonesian like five minutes before they shot that scene.
0: Yeah. That's cool. It was so cool. I love that he didn't kill them. And then like how they're like waiting for him to respond. And then he does. And they both just kind of slowly pass out after looking at each other. I was like, I hope we see them again. You know, maybe we get John Wick Chapter 5 is the Avengers endgame of this franchise. And John calls in every favor he has to fight the high table. He calls in Common. He calls in Ruby Rose's corpse. He calls in these two Indonesian guys. Halle Berry and both dogs. They're all coming.
2: Yeah, and a uh, little, little piece of trivia for you guys on, that, on the, the scene with those two guys. So that glass gallery that they filmed it in, was it, t- it cost uh, $4 million to make that thing. And they, and they broke it all of it. <laughs> uh, but no, they also didn't want to use any special effects at all either. So it was all based on cu- choreography, lighting, and camera angles. Uh, so the design of the glass actually had to sync with the action. Keith, what would you do with $4 million? I wouldn't make a glass gallery.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I do want to shout out because we don't see it in movies enough. I liked how whenever they deflected swords and it hit the glass, it like weirdly scratched up the glass every time. Like it didn't like break through or stab through. It was cool to see them like deflect and then scratch the glass or whatever and actually use the angles of each of these containers like as a way to kill them whenever John gets the one guy to get his sword stuck in the thing and then throws the other guy into it and slides his neck against the stuck sword was like, ooh, wee. Good stuff. This movie just has the
1: most top tier action, I think, of the entire series. That could be that could be a debate
2: just right there with all three movies. Which one has the better action?
0: I feel like, yeah, I think like I, I feel like I would say this one might edge out one, even though one has the red circle scene, the nightclub scene. I think this one probably edges it out.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I say this one edges out one as well. So it'd go three, one, two for me. So, speaking of that action in the glass scene, um, I do think the third act is one of the best of the series. And that's kind of a bold statement because we haven't loved the conclusions of the first two, but I think they really nailed this one. Uh, deconsecrating the Continental was a really fun element to introduce, as was getting Sharon involved in the action. I just love a good siege scene when we get to see our characters kind of preparing for their final battle. How did you guys feel about the way we close out and set up for chapter four?
2: Yeah. I mean, I said it earlier with uh, Charon, Lance Reddick, kind of seeing him come alive and not just be the concierge anymore. Now now he's in action. But it kind of it kind of made me wonder uh, with him and, and uh, Winston and John, it's like, so is Charon... I guess Sharon has like more of a loyalty to Winston than he does like to any other assassin. That's kind of how. That's kind of what I got yeah. from the whole thing. I guess yeah, almost I by so.
0: default, whether or not he wants to, might be a more interesting conversation. But it kind of seems like he has to, if that makes sense.
1: It just seems like they have a very like special bond. Like Sharon doesn't even question Winston. I, I think he's very loyal to him and, and committed to to maybe not maybe not
0: just to Winston, but to the Continental at least for sure. Yeah. The only thing about that that I would have liked just a split second of like a question was whenever John does go over the roof because Winston shoots him. It would have been cool for Sharon to be like, whoa, at least for a second instead of just immediately like, so we're back in action, boss. You know what I mean? Because they just like fought together. So it would have been cool if there was like a split second of like questioning it. But regardless, that's a nitpick for sure. Um, The action scene, the Continental, you can tell. How this came about in the writer's room. It was like, okay, so we set up in the first movie that you can't do business on the continental. So, how the hell do we change that? Because we have to have a big action scene in there. And they had the whole adjudicator and like being deconsecrated. So, it's like, all right, now we're on. And this was so cool. And we have to say it. I mean, they really went all out. It's like you kind of always wonder in the series, man, these guards really should wear some armor. That might help out a little bit with how these guys fight. <laughs> and john's reaction with the initial shooting of the guys like oh the guys are not dead like what <laughs> and then having to find How like, he any... walks past them too and they he get does, it behind at, him yeah. he's like oh
1: fuck they're they're yeah. not
0: dead <laughs> And then watching him in real time find their weakness, almost like a video game. He's finding the one spot where he can kill them in like both the front and back of their neck. And then that actually plays out as it goes on. Like you see him then do that constantly. And then of course, whenever he and Sharon switch to shotguns, it gets uh, a little bit easier.
2: <laughs> I like how Winston's just sitting there drinking and watching TV. <laughs> yeah, all this me is laugh going on every time. <laughs>
0: I expected like he might partake in the action like a little bit whenever I first saw it. But then I was like, you know what? I kind of like that he's just sitting there. (laughs) Perfect for his character too because he's so into etiquette and like just being neat and orderly. Yeah. So I know we're kind of mixing things up now. But after, of course, the continental sequence, we do get, you know, the fight we already talked about. We didn't talk too much about the fight following the guys from the raid. We got to talk about the Zero fight. We had – come. Kind of some mixed feelings on Zero as a character and as a villain, but did the final fight kind of bring you more around to him or no? I don't
1: know if the fight necessarily did. I think the fight is fine for the character. It's certainly not bad. I think what brings me around to the character a bit more is just kind of his closing statement where he's like, that was a great fight, right, John? Like that that made me laugh. Um, the fight's average, I think, but the yeah. character itself is more fun.
0: Yeah,
2: I like the dialogue. I'm, I'm going to catch up, John. Just got to catch my breath. You go on ahead. I'll be, I'll catch up with you later on.
0: That's, like, the first time in the series where John, like, it's weird to say, like, almost says, like, a negative statement in response to that. Like, usually we hear him go, like, be seeing you. Or whenever Ruby Rose's character died in the last one, they said, like, be seeing you, John. And he was just, like, yeah. But here it's, like, nah, fuck you. And I was, like, whoa, okay. (laughs) Like, we're seeing John get a bit more angered and I kind of like it. I think the fight would have played a little bit better if we hadn't
1: just come off of the sweet action That's scene the when it was two on one. That's the problem. Yeah. You mentioned um, John Wick going over the edge. So I guess there's time, kind of time for theories here. I've always taken it as Winston didn't betray John, but <sighs> he knew John was going to get away. And this was kind of the only way to set him free. Like I, th- I feel like Winston knew there was no way John was getting out of the Continental with the adjudicator there kind of alive.
0: I feel like Winston took this as the only way to get John out of there and he just took a gamble that John would survive. It's tough. I mean, on the one hand, yes, because Winston easily could have shot him in the head. Uh based on the fact that he shot him like four or five times in different parts of the body, so clearly Winston's a good shot and could have gotten John off guard in the head. Um so yeah, let, let's talk about it a little bit. So what so do you think cuz I guess the way I read it is Winston was just hoping for the best he's like I got John at a good angle he's kind of near the edge I can kind of corner him there and he's gonna go off should I I can shoot him in like his leg his arm in here and just hope for the best and hope he goes over the edge even though he'll probably die but if he doesn't then John's still in play is that how you guys read it like he wants to get him to go over the edge even though he'll probably
2: die he's just hoping he doesn't die or what do you think? At first I was kind of thinking maybe him and John had like a conversation before that we didn't see where they kind of said like, hey, shoot me in all the non-fatal places and Mm. I'll go over the edge and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll just play this out. Or John is already good at, you know, he can, he can take a stab wound, but he'll, he'll, he'll get somebody to stab him on purpose, but in a place where it won't like actually kill him just to get rid of the knife. So he could do that with gunshot wounds as well. I see what you're saying. Yeah. In this scene, you do see John turn in certain ways as Winston is shooting him. And he holds up his suit jacket, which is bulletproof. So I took it as John was just deflecting
1: the bullets off the suit. And the only injuries he sustained was from falling off the roof. I I completely
0: agree with you guys. But my problem with this scene is John Wick falls. Like how many stories like Honestly, it would have been so much better had they not shown him fall the way he did with, like, all the CG where, like, he, he hits his, like, like Batman in Bane style. He hits his back on a fire escape, then falls forward, hits something else, and then lands flat on the ground. Like, he fell, like, 20 stories. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I get it. It's John Wick. He's superhuman at this point. But it was a little goofy. And I agree with you guys. Winston wasn't trying to kill him. But in the end, he still went over the edge and fell all that way. So, it's, so what didn't work for you
1: here was the fall. Like I thought, I thought what you weren't on board with was Winston betraying him. But no,
0: no, no. I agree with. with I agree fall. with the premise. I agree with the premise that it's like Winston knew John couldn't get out of the situation. Winston wants to be in charge of the Continental, which means John is expendable to him, at least in this moment. Uh, so he has to not kill him and get him over the edge. But then it's like, well, he's still over the edge and he survived it. So the only part that doesn't work for me is watching him fall in the way he did. And then I'm supposed to assume he didn't die somehow from that. That's the only part that doesn't work. It's just a little bit goofy. But they bring it back in that final scene where it's so badass. And I love Winston's last line whenever the adjudicator's like, he's on the street and he's just like, (sighs) Baba Yaga. (laughs) So good. And speaking of last lines... We got
1: Lawrence Fishburne coming in at the end, baby. And he says, are you pissed yet, John? And how does John respond, Matt? Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was great. (laughs) His eyes completely filled with blood. (laughs) (laughs) Lawrence Fishburne's so good with probably conservatively two and a half minutes of screen time. Like his reaction whenever John raises his hand and he sees he's missing a finger, he's like, Holy shit! <laughs> he starts laughing, then he flicks him off. So good. But yeah, I mean, with that final scene, it's like, Are you pissed, John? Yeah. Bowery King, John Wick teaming up. It seems like, again, we know chapters four and five are coming, but let's only talk about four. Personally, I'm assuming in some way the main kind of plot is going to be the Bowery King and John are, you know, this movie was called Parabellum, which means prepare for war. Chapter four will be the start of the war with the high table with the Bowery King and John kind of leading that charge. Now, who joins them along the way? That I'm not sure, especially characters like Winston. I don't know. But people like Halle Berry, who are on the outsides, I'm assuming are going to be on their side. So. We'll see. Is that kind of what you guys expect, that it's going to be kind of about going against the high table in full force? Well, I want Halle Berry back um as badly as you do, Matt, but
1: I have not seen any confirmed castings neither, for her yeah. in four or five, yeah. which I was found a bit interesting. I hope they find a way to work her back in, and that's just kind of a surprise that they're keeping under wraps. As for me, though, I have two things I need in four or five. One of them is I need, I got to have it. Jason Manzoukas in an action scene. I need to see it, hopefully alongside Keanu Reeves. And two, on a a more serious note, I would love to see a scene where like Dread or the Raid style, like maybe John Wick ends up in a building controlled by the high table and he's kind of got to like work his way up floor by floor to get to the
0: senior leadership of the high table or something along those lines. I think it'd be really fun. That's almost what this movie gave us as a tease, like watching him On the first floor of that room in the Continental, he's fighting the Grunts. and the second floor, he fights uh, the two guys from the raid. And then the third floor is Zero. So I I thought it was so cool because it was also glass. You could see them all looking at each other. So, yeah, I definitely want that too, Austin. Like kind of just a room. It's like I don't even give a shit what it's called. It's just like, hey, look, that building, that's the high table. (laughs) And then it's just fighting to the penthouse or something. That'd be awesome.
2: Yeah. And you said it earlier, Austin, it would be cool to get like some of the old characters back and like going oh, yeah. with John to fight yeah. the high table uh, and maybe get a good wrap up with him and uh, Winston, hopefully him and Winston make yeah. up and they're on good terms. Uh, and another smaller thing I'd hope to get back is our boy John Leguizamo. Thank God maybe, you said it maybe, he'll, it. maybe he'll bring him a sweet uh, ride to
0: have in the next one. I genuinely think that's what's going to happen because there was no car action in this one, which is a big part of one and two. I think Johnny Liguzamo he's coming in with the cars and we're going to get another action scene in the next one. My only like, how do I word this? Like the only thing that I hope not to happen is that after getting chapter three, which was like half of what we expected post chapter two and then half of like new shit, like Austin said, and like a cool surprise, I really hope John McChapter chapter four isn't like, too much of a new thing if that makes sense like I really need chapter 4 to continue immediately after 3 set up the war with the high table I don't want like some weird element where a new character is introduced that's like I have a personal vendetta against John Wick I'm gonna take him out and then that becomes the movie that would be like my biggest like oh no like I really need chapter 4 to fully focus on the high table now that they've given us a lot of that so that's my main thing And then other than that, I don't have anything too specific. I'm excited about the cast they've announced so far. Uh, The new members like Hiroyuki Sonata and Clancy Brown, that's going to be awesome. And then like you guys said, I just want to see some old faces come back and I want to see kind of that team officially form. We've gotten a tease of it here where John teamed up with Sharon and Sophia, but I want to see like a multiple member squad, Avengers style. I want to see a bunch of people going against the high table, so I think that's what we're going to get. I assume so. I just hope that comes to fruition.
1: I always get a bit nervous when you break up a core cast and crew. And this is our first movie without the original creator, Derek Kolstad, behind Mm -hmm. the scenes writing the film. I'm interested to see what that's going to look like. I'm glad we're at least carrying over a co-writer from this movie. Yeah. But this is still the first one without kind of the core element behind it um, that created the
0: original trilogy. It's true. It's true. It's a good point, and I do like that. Like you said, it's it's nice that they had the co-writer work with him directly on this one, so that he could presumably do four and five solo or with a different team. Um, and yeah, I guess we'll see what happens. I mean, you would hope after chapter three that now that we've seen the head of the high table, like. The world is set up. We don't need any more like major reveals about the world. It's now about taking what we've learned already and going against this crazy high table organization. So maybe we don't need like Derek Kolstad like doing his cool setup and stuff now that we're four movies in. That's my only kind of I guess in my head how I'm trying to rationalize Kolstad not being as maybe being okay. Not good but just an okay thing.
1: Yeah, I saw an interview uh, for Nobody and he kind of said like, he basically said like at some point your franchise outgrows you. And he's like, you just kind of have to, it's weird not being involved, but you have to kind of let it go. So it sounds like he, I guess him in the studio like amicably agreed for him not to carry on to 4 and 5. But it's just weird that he's
0: the only one that's not carrying over. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I'm curious if it was fully an Amicable decision. Maybe he didn't want to. He's obviously working on more things now, working with Marvel, doing nobody. So maybe it was just a timing issue. Who's to say? But, you know, we'll see what happens. I am still excited for chapter four, like I said, because at least it seems like the world is set up. Now it's just time to, I mean, literally break it down. You know, have John Wick and his friends kind of tear down the high table. That's kind of what they're doing. So we don't really need a world builder right now. We just need some good writers. So Derek Kolstad did the hard work. And now. We have some people that have worked with him that are going to kind of take it home. So sad to see him not there, but I'm excited for the future. And if anybody can break it down, it's certainly
1: Mr. Keanu Reeves. Keanu. Keanu.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm pissed. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine if that was the last line? You pissed, John? Instead of, yeah, he just goes, yeah, I'm pissed. <laughs> that is That is the last line.
1: Is it? Yeah. I thought you, I just thought you said, said yeah. yeah. I think you just said yeah. No, he says yeah,
0: I'm pissed. God, I don't I don't you're think you're probably so. I don't know. I don't, know. Yeah. I don't remember. But <laughs> I think I'm just so used to That's hearing what Keanu I was setting Reeves. You up for Keanu Reeves just keeps going yeah in everything. I just assume whenever I hear yeah, I just tune out the rest of it. So honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. Either way, sounds cool. Um but with that, guys, you know, Keith, now that uh we have closed out the conversation, I'm thinking about how you talked about already that when you first watched these movies, you watch them all back to back. So now you're at a point where you can distinguish them, which is good, my friend, because now that we are through the initial three movies, it's going to be quick, but we have to rank them. John Wick Chapter 1, Chapter 2, Chapter 3. Where do these films stand in your guys' rankings? Austin, I want to start with you because you've already ranked them when it came to the action, but... There's other things to consider, so I want to know where you would put these films in your ranking.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting discussion because I think chapter one is a more concise um, and probably better told story. But I think chapter three is just a bit more fun. I think they figured out how to really step up the action in Chapter 3, and then also make these characters and this world just a ton of fun and really kind of go out and f- and fire on all cylinders. So I think I'm going to go the exact same way, uh, mm-hmm. Chapter 3, Chapter 1, and Chapter 2. Chapter one's a better story. Chapter 3 is more fun. Got to go with more fun.
0: Okay. Okay. Well, you know what? I was going to go to Keith next, but I'm actually going to go because you surprisingly, in a good way, made my point for me. My ranking is the exact same as yours, but with one slight change, just because while chapter one doesn't have like all this great action, it has some highlights for sure. No doubt about that. I just really love how that movie balances the action and the simple story better than this one. But it's close. Both that said, I'm going to go chapter one
2: as number one, then three, then two. I'll, yeah, okay, I'll go ahead and start with this. And number two will be last for me. Um...
0: <laughs> Hell yeah.
2: But as far as one and three, I'm with what both you guys said. I think one is just such a good starter movie, origin movie, I guess you could call it. And then number three, like you said, Austin, it's just more fun and kind of integrates a little bit more into it. But yeah, I think I'll go starting from the bottom, go to the top. I'll go two, then one, then three. Ooh, Austin and Keith,
0: teammates for life.
2: We're in lockstep. We're
1: usually not, but
0: today we are. (laughs) It's all good. It's all good. I get it. I get it. Uh, But before we close out officially, we have one more thing to do. Of course, the Arnie's. We always give our awards at the end of the show. It can be for anything in the movie or anything on the periphery. It doesn't really matter if you think about our criteria. We just have fun with it. So, my friends, let's give some awards. Austin, you started us off beautifully with the rankings. I want to start with you again, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, I think it's good you're starting with me today because I don't have a funny award. I don't have a sarcastic award. I have a heartwarming, Mm -hmm. the only natural award I can give. And it's just the Bestest Boys Award. It's to Halle Berry's dogs. They save her life multiple times. They take a bullet for her. They carry her guns. They are simply the
2: Bestest Boys. I could not agree more. I could not agree more. Keith, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? You know, for the first time in a long time, I've had this award picked out. Way in advance, instead of thinking about it halfway through the podcast, and we mentioned <laughs> this scene already. Um, but this is the Tobey Maguire fall award, and that goes to Mister, <laughs> that goes to Mister Keanu Reeves for that fall. It's just like Spider Man Two whenever mm-hmm. whenever he uh, loses his powers and he tries to make that jump across buildings in New York and he falls like on a dumpster, hits <laughs> his head on like a on a fire escape. <laughs> the exact same thing happened to Mister John Wick, except. Somehow he also didn't die, so maybe he is (laughs) Spider-Man as well. There is, Keith,
0: it's an incredible award. But I will say there is one key difference. Uh, The difference is when Keanu hit the ground, he just did this. (sighs) And when Tobey Maguire hit the ground, he goes, Ow, my back! (laughs) (laughs) And he hobbles off
2: holding his back.
0: I think if
1: Matt needs his own segment for Hiroyuki Sonata, then Keith needs his own segment for Tobey Maguire, because I think Keith recurringly brings up Tobey Maguire as much as he possibly can on this podcast. Willem Dafoe, his greatest foe, the Green Goblin, (laughs) and John Wick Chapter (laughs) 1. Keith's segment can be called the Maguire Minute. Oh, there you go. Nice.
0: And I'll do the Sonata second. (laughs) (laughs)
2: There you go. (laughs) Austin, you need to find one for yourself. <laughs> yeah,
1: Austin, you, you need someone too. Mine's probably the, the Mad Max
0: moment. Oh, that's it's probably good. mine. That's good. That's good. Great awards, my friends. Great awards. And my thing is, we've already talked about it. Chapter one, very simple in its execution. Chapter two, open things up a little bit. And chapter three was big. There was a lot in it and sometimes to a fault. And that kind of ties into my award today. There was one particular moment where... It was just too much for any one man or any one person to take. And so I'm giving the overkill award to the doctor in this film. He takes one bullet to the gut, and it was clearly, clearly enough. And then he's just like, hit me again, John.
2: Hit me again.
0: (laughs) Just like rips his shirt open for John to shoot him
1: again. He's got a subconscious pain thing going on for sure. Yeah. Great scene, though. He's taking Great too scene. much of his
0: own pills, and he needs to get shot twice to feel <laughs> anything. <laughs> so with that, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and this series, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we'd really appreciate that to continue to grow the show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you don't want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast really does help us out. At the Arnie's is our social, and the Arnie's.media is the website. We'll be back on Tuesday with another bracket-style episode. This time, though, there is no restriction based on genre, or anything, really. The three of us each submitted four random movies to see what would come out on top. So, guys, without going into your picks, I want to give us a little tease. What helped you determine what movies to submit? What were you looking for?
1: Yeah, I actually did have a method. Um, In my office, I have... Kind of a a bookshelf, a little library area. And on those shelves, there's a section for movies that I own um, on DVD and Blu-ray, which I haven't bought a lot recently due to streaming. But what I did is I sat in my chair, and I spun around a few times, and I stopped to stare at the shelf, and I just picked the four that jumped out at me right away. Okay.
0: I like it. I like it. What about you, Keith?
2: I did maybe something similar for that, like for maybe two out of the four that I chose. And the other ones, I was just kind of thinking... What's some movies that I really like, some of my favorites that wouldn't maybe fit in like a like a certain category, like action or comedy, where I, w- I wouldn't want to put them on one of those brackets, but they're just one of my, you know, some of my favorite films, and that's kind of how I chose it. So I just f- I just chose four random movies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: I'm kind of a mix of both of you guys, because I didn't want to pick anything that would maybe be an obvious choice for a different bracket, and I also didn't want to pick anything that we might do on a future Our Favorite Movies segment. So, I kind of broke it up into genres. So, I picked one random sci-fi movie, one random comedy, one random biopic, and one random drama. So, it sounds like we're going to have a pretty good show. We... Just to tease the audience, looking through the movies we picked, it's going to be hard. Maybe harder than anything ever because we're not you know, restricting ourselves on genre. So it's going to be really tough to kind of break apart what we like better. So it's going to be super fun.
1: Well, I'm going to call it now. Spider-Man 3 will win this bracket. Yes.
0: Spider-Man 3 is definitely on the show. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see with that one.
2: All right, Keith. How about you close us out with that social media talk? feel free to direct message us on Instagram at the Arnie's or email us the at gmail.com and send us your favorite movie of 2021 and let us know what movies you would want to see on our random movie bracket as well. And what you thought of the suicide squad and please help us decide our next bonus series. Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode.
0: All right, everybody. We'll see you soon. We'll be back next week and we'll be back next year. To add John Wick Chapter 4 to our list. So enjoy it, and we'll be seeing ya.